can put it on the board, yeah! Team to win the game! Hawks win! And Mack will take it all the way in for a touchdown. How crazy was that? This is the Athlete Beat, WCRX's sole sports show featuring modern and classic hip-hop. Only here on 88.1 FM, Chicago. All righty, 7.04 everybody. Welcome back to the Athlete Beat on WCRX 88.1 FM, Chicago. I am your host, Brandon Arlowski. If my voice sounds a little uh, deeper, a little sexier, it's because I'm sick. I've been sick for about a week now, and uh, I think it's finally starting to make its way out because I'm actually coughing stuff up and out now. I know that's kind of gross, but it's uh, that's life. That's necessary. Holy cow, I do sound bad, but uh, we're going to get through this. Uh, maybe I'll do some... Uh, Maybe I'll do some editing and post before I put it up on the podcast version. So if you want to wait for that, you can. But uh, I'm glad that you are listening live, if you are. <laughs> I don't know who's out there listening live, but thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. But first, I want to let you know that you can follow me and the station on social media. At Brandon Arlowski is where you can find me pretty much everywhere. Uh, as well as at WCRXFM across the platforms. If you want to get the podcast version of the show, you can go on anchor.fm uh, slash Brandon Orlowski. And it's also on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, and all the other big podcast ones that are escaping my mind right now. Uh, also, 312-663-3512 is the phone number if you want to call in with an opinion or a question or you just want to yell at me. And uh, that's basically going to be the show. If you've listened before, then we just have we have regular sports, we have regular uh, modern and classic hip hop, we got a little bit of everything for everybody. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we got a great show for you today. We're going to start things off with a little bit of Chicago Blackhawks talk. So the Blackhawks, they seemed at one point uh, in very recent memory that they were going to be a uh, wild card playoff team potentially if they got things together and kept rolling on that win streak that they were that they had uh, of uh, of six games a few weeks ago since then it hasn't been uh you know the hawks haven't shown that they are capable of making the playoffs let alone win the stanley cup so recently Corey Crawford, the starting goaltender for the Blackhawks, returned from returned from an injury that he sustained uh, in December. Now, Crawford being back on the team is a big boost because he's obviously going to give you the best chance in net. He's obviously going to give you the best chance to win. Period. Uh, even if the defense, even though the even though the defense is very very suspect on the Blackhawks, he's going to give you the best chance to win the game. Uh, Cam Ward is the backup. He's not necessarily doing the greatest. Uh, he's not necessarily doing the greatest job by himself. However, you do have to take into consideration if the defense is crap in front of the goalie, then the goalie obviously isn't going to have the uh, the kind of support that he needs in order to potentially uh, put a, put a shutout on the uh, on the other team or even save one or two goals because the Blackhawks have been given up as a team collectively 
uh, I mean, actually, I'm not sure what the average is. I'm sorry. But in the past couple games, the past two games that Crawford's played, he has given up nine goals. Uh, the first game that he played uh, when he returned was against the Anaheim Ducks. The Blackhawks did win that game 4-3. And, you know, three goals for three goals for a goalie is, I, I'd say that's pretty average, especially uh, Corey Crawford's coming back from an injury. He was probably going to be a little rusty. Not a big deal. In the second game that he played, I believe it was against the, I believe it was against the LA Kings. I could be wrong. Sorry, I've, it's been it's been a long week with this, uh, with this uh, with this voice I got. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. Bear with me. Uh, Crawford in that game let up six goals, and he is posting a save percentage currently. Uh, actually, where are my notes here? There we go. Okay. Nine goals allowed and 8,833. That's not right. See, when I was writing up these notes, I was kind of uh, I was kind of all over the place. But 0.833 save percentage for Corey Crawford uh, in the last two games. Not terrible. Of course, it's only two games. Very small sample size coming back from injury. Uh, he went one and one. And since then, as a whole... The Hawks have been very unimpressive. Now, of course, Patrick Kane's going to show out, and he's going to he's going to give you his his trickery and all the things that he does. Uh, he was named the NHL second star of February, however, with 11 goals and 12 assists in 13 games uh, over the month. Kane has Kane is having an MVP caliber season. The reason the Blackhawks are this good, I mean, I, I mean, the reason that the Blackhawks have been staying semi-relevant in the conversation, in the hunt for a playoff spot, is pretty much solely because of Patrick Kane. Now, obviously, guys like Alex Dabrinkit have come on. Uh, Dylan Strom has been playing very well. Eric Gustafson, uh, def- uh, one of the newer newer defensemen for the, for the Hawks, he's actually third in points among defensemen since December 1st, 36 points in 36 games. <clears throat> His 2018-2019 stats look like uh, look like this: 13 goals, 35 assists for 48 points, uh, only 11.3 shooting percentage, which for for a hockey player that's not bad, uh, with an average ice time of about of about 22 minutes. So Eric Gustafson is coming on as a as a potential defensive force for years to come, seeming as though Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook are obviously getting up there in age and starting to uh, decline on the ice. But Patrick Kane has shown him has shown that he is still capable of putting up these numbers and being that franchise uh franchise player going forward for the team even if the team itself isn't doing so hot. So right now the Blackhawks I believe are 8 points out of a spot with only about 16-17 games to go. It's not looking good, and it seems like the Blackhawks' playoff playoff hopes are fading away. And you gotta you gotta ask yourself: one, what do you do for the remainder of the season? Do you at least try to try to make the playoffs and give it some sort of effort until you officially get eliminated mathematically, or do you just take this as you know, we got 15, 16, 17 games left. 
why don't we just rest our players? Why don't we just try to make up a little bit of draft capital and go from there? The Blackhawks are in kind of a weird position right now, even though it doesn't really matter long term. Because at the beginning of the season, we thought that the Blackhawks were just going to be... At the beginning of the season, they were a dumpster fire. You know, they got rid of Coach Quinville, brought in Jeremy Colleton, who next year with a full offseason under his belt with the players should be enough to get things a little bit back up to speed. They still need defensemen. Uh, defensive help in the offseason, they got to bring that in. But at the beginning of the season, when you get rid of one coach and bring another one in, it's definitely going to take time, especially in the middle of the season. So the Blackhawks, I think it's, uh, I think it's becoming more and more apparent that uh, it might be time to start fading to black on this season, which pains me to say because, you know, at the beginning of the season, while things were so bleak, we did kind of get, get teased a little bit with, uh, with the, the, the six-game win streak, Patrick Kane coming on, DeBrinckit, Strom, guys like that coming together and playing as a team and winning, winning some, some big games. But recently down the stretch, they've, they've coughed up some, some losses against some, some less, than, less than ideal, less than stellar competition. Lost to the Kings, who I believe at that point hadn't won in about two weeks. But lo and behold, <laughs> here come the Hawks to L.A. And what do you know? They put up the L. They chalk one up in the L column. And I think that's, I think that's, about, uh, I think that's about what we got to do for this season. As much as it pains me to say and how fun the Hawks have been when, they're, when, they're, when they've been on it this season, I think the Hawks are cooked. Pains me to say, but I think it's time to start reloading for next year, start taking a look at some defensive prospects, some defensive free agents, maybe even, uh, you know, Artemi Panarin, a sexy acquisition, ac acquisition like that. Probably not going to happen, but... A boy can dream. Of course, we gotta we gotta touch on our monsters of the midway. It is the off season, but there are, uh, of course things going on between the beginning of the new league year starting, the draft combine. We gotta make some player we gotta make some player moves and decisions. So the biggest piece of news that the uh, that the Bears gave us this past week, apparently at the combine at the NFL draft combine. Uh, if you don't know what that is. All the players that are eligible for the draft and who are coming out of college hoping to get drafted go to Indianapolis and they put on a combine, which is basically just like a showcase of all of the different players and their talents and abilities, how fast they can run, how high they can jump, how much uh, reps they can do on a bench press, you know, just, just that kind of stuff to let teams know what they're dealing with when they, uh, before they pick them. So apparently, apparently at the Combine, Ryan Pace, the Bears general manager, Matt Nagy, Bears head coach, maybe not so much Nagy, but uh, Pace definitely because he makes the player personnel decisions. Apparently they're shopping, meaning they're looking for trade partners, potentially, for starting running back Jordan Howard. 
a lot of people a lot of people think that Jordan Howard is probably the most underutilized and maybe even misused player on the Bears offense. And a lot of people, I mean, I would probably agree most of the time. Because as much as I like Tariq Cohen, as much as I love watching Tariq Cohen play, because he's just so electric on the, on the field, Jordan Howard is probably your best bet if you, were, if you had to pick a if you had to pick a running back to get down the field and bust through the the defensive line, because Tariq Cohen, you know, all all five six, one seventy, one eighty of them. He's a little ball of muscle, but he's still a little ball. Jordan Howard can bust through. He can bust through the line. He can. He's he's not the fastest guy, obviously. Tariq Cohen, you know, put him on the punt coverage. And he makes the all-pro team as a punt returner. That's just how, you know, that's the kind of speed that that we're dealing with. We're dealing with the speed of an all-pro return man. And Jordan Howard, standard running back speed. People, some people don't like Jordan Howard because of what they see on the field. But I think Matt Nagy just hasn't figured it out yet. Could they potentially draft a different running back or sign somebody I, I don't think there's anybody in free agency that they're gonna that they're gonna go after especially since uh Kareem Hunt went to Cleveland took that uh took that possibility off the table for Chicago which might have been a blessing in disguise well we will see um they could definitely draft somebody they were at the they were at the combine interviewing running backs there were some players that disclosed that, yes, the Bears talked to them a little bit. Jordan Howard may not be the number one number one choice and the perfect ideal fit for what the Bears are trying to do with their offense. They want to run an offense that is similar kind of to Kansas City because that's where Nagy came from. And frankly, Jordan Howard may not be, you know, the quote-unquote Kareem Hunt esque player that they may be looking for. But Jordan Howard is he is a very solid player. Last year he had kind of a down year. That's nobody's refuting that. But he still put up 935 rush yards, averaging three and three point seven. He only caught 155 yards for uh for out of the backfield for a receiver. Uh did score nine touchdowns, all rushing. Tariq Cohen, on the other hand, only 444 rushing yards, 4.5 average though, 725 receiving yards is where Cohen made his money on offense. He also scored eight touchdowns, three rushing, five receiving. So if they want, if the Bears want to keep doing this, um, this dual running back method, which a lot of a lot of teams do. You know, we're. I think we've kind of evolved past, as, as the the NFL as as a sport. I mean, I think we've kind of evolved past. Uh, you have to have one running back to do everything. You have to have one linebacker who can do everything. You have to have. You know, running back, probably the most notorious case of this. You see, whole a whole bunch of teams, pretty much all the teams. 
I could probably go down and run through the running backs on 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 each roster, but we don't have that kind of time. It's only a two-hour show. But most teams have the feature back, who is their obvious number one, a Jordan Howard, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, what's his name? Who, who, who? I just had someone in my head. Couldn't forget about it, but I digress. Doesn't matter. They have the feature back, and then they may have a power back, who is you know the big the big beefy guy who's going to get you the one yard run for the touchdown in the end zone. You could have a speed guy, like a uh, like a Tyreek Hill, Tavon Austin kind of player, or you could have your little gadget guy like Tariq Cohen, do a little bit of everything. Or you could have a running back strictly for receiving and catching passes out of the backfield. A lot of teams have a lot of different uh, wheels in motion with these uh, with these running backs. So I think the Bears can utilize Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen equally and effectively. Matt Nagy, I think, just has to figure out Jordan Howard. If they do go in a different direction, I don't think it's going to hurt the Bears tremendously. Obviously, a guy like Jordan Howard you want on your team and It'd be better if it'd be better if he stuck around. You just gotta hope that the guy that you're replacing him with is 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 who you need. If they want to get a specific kind of player, specific kind of running back for a certain scheme, then they can go do that. And they could still have Tariq Cohen coming out of the backfield. And, you know, they may not have uh they may not have necessarily the strongest set of running backs going into next season, but they could address that as well. Kyle Long has restructured his contract for next season. The Pro Bowl guard restructured his deal to free up about $3 million in cap space, which essentially cancels out Cody Parkey's dead money cap hit because he is going to be released at the start of the new league year as well. Parkey met with... Ryan Pace and the Bears' upper management. And they, you know, they mutually agreed that it's probably in everybody's best interest who's involved if Cody uh, packed it up and kicked rocks. Because he can't kick, he can't kick footballs at Soldier Field anymore. It's a shame that Robbie Gold uh, got franchise tagged by San Francisco. It really seemed like he kind of wanted to come here without saying anything. So, the Chicago Bulls, they are in better shape than I thought. If you if you remember previous weeks where I've talked about the the Chicago Bulls, I've been critical of management, I have been critical of coaching, I have not really been critical of play, but I'm sure there's some blame to go around there as well. However, since the All-Star break uh, has come and gone, since they've come back, also since the Bulls have acquired Otto Porter Jr. from the Washington Wizards in exchange for Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker, the Bulls have actually been playing like a NBA team from 2019. It doesn't seem like they're playing... 2002 basketball 
They're actually moving. They're actually shooting threes and making them. It looks like they're having fun. They actually think that they're going to (laughs) win. They actually think that they're going to win when they play, which is nice. Now, of course, I've also brought up the fact that they need to try to lose as much as possible because if they don't get a high draft pick, then all this losing and tanking and agony on the fan base and the players and everybody involved is going to be for nothing. So still, fingers crossed, still fingers crossed that they get a top four, top three pick. As much as I would love Zion Williamson to be on the Bulls, it's probably probably a little bit of a pipe dream. However, I think John Morant, the point guard from Murray State, could probably fill in a little bit nicer. I'm not saying that if we get the <laughs> if we land the number one pick, then we should trade out of it. I don't know what we should do because honestly, right now we have, of course, Larry Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. Otto Porter looks like he's going to be the starting small forward for the foreseeable future. Would drafting Zion just create a logjam and kind of a kind of a less than ideal situation for a for a rebuilding team? You know, that's <laughs> having Zion on your team loaded with other forwards is a good problem to have. <laughs> Definitely not bad. <laughs> However, if you're thinking of a more practical fit, it's probably John Morant. But that's my opinion. So how 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 the Bulls are currently positioned right now. The current state of the Bulls, so to speak. It's not that bad. For a tanking team in the process of a rebuild, I think we're finally starting to see some progress which I didn't think we were going to see any progress this year after Fred Hoiberg got fired. Kind of like the Blackhawks situation. You fire the you fire Coach Quinville, you bring in a new guy, and there's going to be a steep learning curve. Maybe not, not necessarily a learning curve, but a, a transition period to get acclimated with the new coach, the new style of play and everything that goes along with that. And it didn't help that they weren't a good team to begin with, so that just makes things a little bit more difficult. But since the All-Star break has come and gone, the Bulls' offense has come alive. Pre-All-Star break, uh, the first 58 games of the season, the Bulls were averaging 103 points a game while allowing about 112 You'll also notice that defense has pretty much went by the wayside all across the league this past season. So maybe we'll see that coming forward. Maybe we'll see a defensive renaissance. Uh, After the All-Star break in these past six games, definitely nowhere near 58. It's very, very small sample size. But the Bulls have averaged 122.8 points per game. That's a damn near 20-point increase just by adding Otto Porter Jr., getting a little bit more acclimated with Jim Boylan's system, having some time off, and just all of that brings a different attitude. 
Winning changes things. I think the Bulls have gone four and two since the All-Star break. Which, if you're rooting for the tank, then obviously you don't like to see that. However, as a Bulls fan, you know, to my core, I'm 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 just glad to see one, Zach Levine is playing lights out. After giving him that four-year, $80 million contract, you know, could have gone either way. And what I mean by that is people thought we overpaid for him initially. I kind of thought we overpaid for him initially as well when that first happened. But with every 30-point game that Zach Levine comes out with, the contract looks a little bit more and more like a steal. Laurie Markkinen is finally showing up. Not that he didn't show up last year. He's finally letting the NBA know that he's here and the Bulls are coming. Laurie was at All-Star Weekend participating in the Rising Stars Challenge, and he was getting a ton of notoriety from players, from veterans, from press. People are starting to take notice of what Laurie Markkinen's all about and what he can really do out there. Out there. One of the biggest uh, pieces of Bulls news that happened recently uh, on Friday, the Bulls visited the Atlanta Hawks, and they ended up winning uh, that game in quadruple overtime it took, 168 points to 161. Zach Levine dropped in a career-high 47. Laurie Markkinen dropped in 31. Otto Porter dropped in 31. Trey Young on the other side of the court for the Atlanta Hawks, the rookie, career high 49 points, 16 assists, eight rebounds, two shy of a triple double. That kid's the truth. Not Paul Pierce. Not not that truth. Trey Young is a baller. For sure. He, he was cooking Chris Dunn. <laughs> he was cooking Chris Dunn that whole game. And also, on Sunday, when the Hawks came back here and played the Bulls at the United Center, Chris Dunn was also uh, getting in getting in Trey Young's head because Trey Young got ejected for staring Chris Dunn down after he made a three. So the refs are always, uh, refs are always looking out for everybody's best interest. <coughs> Excuse me, did I mention I'm sick? Anyway... We are going to talk about that game a little bit later. I'm going to go a little bit more in-depth into it and uh, a little bit more into some stats and some records and why this game was a big deal and why it was a little bit even historic. So, in conclusion, the Bulls are in better shape than a lot of people realize, and I know that this season has been painful for everybody. Trust me. It's been painful getting the notifications on my phone saying that the Bulls have lost, lost, lost. Sometimes when they say that they've won, won, you know, on one hand, you want them to lose and get a high draft pick. On one hand, you're, you're a fan. You know, there's no denying your fandom. The team loses and you feel bad, even though you kind of want them to lose for other reasons. But think about this. Going forward, Bulls have Larry Markinen, Zach Levine, Wendell Carter, Otto Porter Jr., so right there, that's four starting positions currently. 
I don't think Chris Dunn is a is a core piece going forward. Maybe he could come off the bench and play kind of a Marcus Smart role. But also guys like Chandler Hutchison could be considered part of the core. You can make the case possibly for Denzel Valentine, Wayne Selden, Ryan Archie Diacono. Hell, Robin Lopez has been balling out since Wendell Carter got hurt. Robin Lopez has filled in and He's been putting up 15 a game, averaging. So I think he should uh, he should be a priority for the Bulls in the offseason. I think they are trying to trying to go after him once the season's over. I think that's going to be uh, I think that's going to be on their radar. I think Robin Lopez re-signing with the team should be high up on their list. Should be a lot of fun uh, next season. Hopefully, the Bulls can get a a star quality draft pick and continue to grow whether or not Jim Boylan is the is the man going forward that's still yet to be determined but things are looking good and the state of the Bulls is eh, state of the Bulls is could be worse let's uh let's just jump into the Cubs a little bit uh first piece of news John Madden John Madden no (laughs) Uh, wrong sport. Joe Madden, the Cubs uh, Cubs manager, he named John Lester the Cubs opening day starter. He That is the fourth opening day start that Lester will be giving the Cubs since he signed with us five years ago. And it's that's probably the best move. Uh, let's go down the rotation. Of course, John Lester has been pretty consistent ever since joining the Northsiders. Hugh Darvish. They got him last year, only played a few games because he was injured. He was injured and still kind of coming back from uh, previous injuries, was pretty rusty, couldn't find his stuff, and was just kind of a big-ass disappointment for the Cubs last year. What we're seeing in... um, in spring training and what we're hearing from the clubhouse is that Darvish is actually feeling the best he's felt in his entire career. Uh, he's reportedly throwing 97 miles per hour. His slider's looking good. His splitter's looking good. Uh, he says that it's the best stuff he, that he's had in his life. And by stuff, uh, that is a term pitchers use just talking about the kind of skill that they have. Like John Lester has good stuff. That's why he's the that's why he's the ace going into the season. <clears throat> so the Cubs have high Cubs have high expectations. They have high hopes uh, going into next season. After the after last year was kind of uh, kind of disappointing. It was a little less than what we expected, and part of that definitely was the pitching. Uh, continuing down that list. Kyle Hendricks, obviously he had that Cy Young caliber season when they won the World Series in 16. Hopefully he can get back on track and continue his path to uh, to possibly being the Cubs' opening day ace one day. Jose Quintana that they traded uh, the White Sox for, he didn't have that uh, that great of a season once once the Cubs really got got him acclimated 
Thought that he was going to continue where he left off on the south side. But so far, he's underperformed and been less than what they anticipated they were getting. And finally, we have Cole Hamels, who I believe he's probably the weak man, the, the odd man out or the weakest link on that, uh, on that rotation at the moment. Now, on paper, on paper, that's a stellar freaking, that's a stellar freaking lineup. John Lester, Hugh Darvish, Cole Hamels, Jose Quintana, Kyle Hendricks. Now, that's assuming everybody is in their prime and healthy. John Lester's getting up there, but he's still good. You Darvish, the last time we saw him, he sucked. But things are looking up for him, apparently, so there's room to be optimistic there. Cole Hamels is getting kind of old, but he might still be able to give you some good uh, some good innings. Quintana just needs to figure it out because when he was on the Sox, he was an all-star. You know, he made it happen for them. Obviously, listening to, uh, listening, obviously, uh, switching over to the uh, National League, it's a little bit, a little bit different style of baseball, especially with the, uh, with the designated hitter and how all that goes into game planning. (coughs) However, shouldn't be any excuse for Quintana to let up, uh, to let up home runs and allow the other team to put runs on the board the way that he has for for the Cubs in his short tenure there. Now, he, uh, the White Sox, not really too much news on that front. I think they're still kind of, I think we're still kind of reeling from the whole Manny Machado debacle. But in the long run, we still don't, we, we really don't know how that's, uh, how that would have turned out. Because on one hand, Manny Machado could—he's, he, you know, there's a reason he got 300 million. There's a reason the Padres paid him. There's a reason the Padres paid him what we weren't willing to pay, for whatever reason. They obviously weren't cheap, like Jerry Reinsdorf. But I digress. So, what what Manny Machado would have brought to the White Sox, the good probably would have outweighed the bad. But the bad always sticks in the back of your head. Because if you remember in the World Series, he basically admitted that, you know, he's not, quote, he, what, what did he say? He's not Johnny Hustle. So even though he may hit a line drive or a ball that could potentially get him to first base, potentially be a single, but it could just as well result in an out. He's not a fan of running and hustling to the base to make sure that he gets on. He'd rather just jog it out, and if he gets there, he gets there. His words. So when that when that initially happened, I I kind of wanted this White Sox to distance themselves from him. But then nobody else wanted to come to the White Sox, and Manny Machado was interested. And, you know, we fell in love with with Manny Machado, and he ended up breaking our hearts. 
even though it's not necessarily his fault because he got stiffed on what he was asking for in the contract. Oh, well. It's kind of rough being a White Sox fan sometimes. Maybe that's why I'm a Cubs fan a little bit more. (laughs) Bryce Harper finally signed to a team. Only with less than a month until opening day and spring training already underway for every single team. But, you know, if you were waiting for $330 million, nobody else's schedule matters to you. So I don't blame him for that one. Like I said, $330 million. That is the amount of money that Bryce Harper was given for his, uh, for his services. So, finally signed with a team. Went to the Philadelphia Phillies. That seemed like it was going... Uh, the Phillies were the number one far and away favorite to likely sign him. They had the most money and... Bryce Harper seemed to be linked uh, mostly with them. Uh, He was linked to the Cubs at one point because the Cubs are a major market team, always looking to add. And Bryce Harper is actually really good friends with Chris Bryant. So obviously we thought a a second bromance or a love triangle was (laughs) going to be brought in between uh, Harper, Bryant, and Rizzo. But we were robbed of that. Well, not really robbed, but Tom Ricketts basically claimed that we couldn't sign Bryce Harper because we didn't have any money. Now, I get what he's saying. You know, we don't have... We, he should have said, you know, we're, we, we are currently planning on focusing on re-signing the players that we have. And we don't think that going after Bryce Harper and giving him this big-ass contract is the kind of direction that we want this franchise to go from here. That would have been understandable. But he just flat out said, oh, we can't sign him because we don't have any money. Bitch. Listen, the Rickets are printing money. The Rickets own the Chicago Cubs. The Chicago Cubs were selling out games when they were terrible. Chicago loves that team. They're always making money. They did just put it, put about five hundred million dollars into renovations for Wrigley, but you think that they were you think that they're going to make that money back in relatively no time. Now, obviously, baseball doesn't have a salary cap, and there's a lot of there's a lot of money on the Cubs' books already. The Cubs are, I believe, second in total payroll, but that's never stopped a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers, you know. So it's possible that the Cubs could have stretched out an olive branch to to Bryce Harper, but the money most likely would not have been there. The White Sox did have the money to spend, but they just chose not to pursue Bryce Harper after they kind of put all their eggs in one basket for Manny Machado, and once it was too late, they couldn't really go back to pursuing Bryce Harper for, I don't know, out of pride, I guess. So that's that. Anyway, Bryce Harper's $330 million deal is good for 13 years. That is the largest contract ever among the four major U.S. sports. 
The deal runs through 2031 when Bryce Harper will be 39 years old. It is unlikely that he will, uh, what's the word, that he will see the end of that contract. Either maybe, you know, maybe he'll retire, maybe he'll get traded somewhere else, maybe he'll get, you know, some, usually these mega deals, especially in baseball, they don't really last the entirety of, of, of the, of the tenure. You see it a lot in football too, even though football, the contracts and the game itself is very different. So there's different factors that go into that, but check this out. These are the four highest paid players in all of the sports for baseball, basketball, football, and hockey in America. So obviously Bryce Harper is number one, 13 years, $330 million. It's good from this year, 2019, until 2031. Play baseball, kids. Parents, don't let your kids play anything else other than baseball or be an NFL kicker. Because if you're a really good NFL kicker, then you have you have crazy longevity and you're not allowed to get hit. It's probably the safest route if you if your kid wants to be a gridiron star. Second on the list, we have James Harden in the NBA for the Houston Rockets. Six years, $228 million from 2017 until 2023. It is good. Andrew Luck in the NFL. He is the Indianapolis Colts franchise quarterback. Six years, $139 million. Uh, obviously, there's there's plenty of money to be made if you're an NFL quarterback as well. Uh, you're technically not supposed to hit the quarterbacks nowadays, but the risk is still there. So stick with the, stick with kicking if you're going that route. And finally, Alex Ovechkin for the Washington Capitals of the NHL, 13 year deal, but only at 124 million dollars. Alex Ovechkin with only a paltry $124 million. So that's that's that. And actually, when I was doing research to see how much these top players made for their uh, for their respective sports and leagues or whatever. Excuse me, got choked up. Um, Canelo Alvarez signed a deal with a streaming service. I think it's DAZN, I think is the name of it. Could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure those are the correct letters. $365 million deal. And for every fight, he gets like $88 million. Something like that. It's it's insane. And that, yeah, and that list isn't even taking into consideration what Floyd Mayweather makes for every fight what Conor McGregor's made, you know, guys like that. <clears throat> also, even though they're not in America, the contracts of guys like Lionel Messi overseas, astronomical. We don't even know the full details of, that, of, of those contracts. Because soccer money... <laughs> Soccer's big everywhere in the world except here, so you're definitely going to get paid. Just don't play in the MLS, I guess. Go over and play in the uh, go over and play in the Euro League, Barcelona, all those uh, Premier League teams. Um, 
The Los Angeles Dodgers and San Francisco Giants getting back to Bryce Harper were reportedly bidders up until the last minute. And I feel like the Dodgers, I don't know if the Dodgers would have been able to swing that with with the players that they have right now or that they want to that they want to pay or or anything like that. The Giants didn't really seem to make a lot of sense to me. Uh but I guess he's happy with uh choosing choosing to go to Philadelphia. He instantly makes them a contender. He's that kind of generational player. One also another little interesting bit of Bryce Harper news. Apparently throughout this whole process he was talking and discussing the entire process and ordeal and, you know, trying to get advice from uh, another one of his friends who is also in MLB, not Chris Bryant, but Mike Trout, another generational player, arguably the best player in the league, plays for the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And his contract's going to be up soon. People think Mike Trout is going to pretty soon sign the uh, biggest contract in sports history. Because every contract that these guys get, each one of them goes a little higher. You know, even even when Aaron Donald um, signed his contract for the Rams, he was the highest paid defensive player ever at that point. And then a day or two later, uh, Khalil Mack comes to the Bears, and he's the, he's the next highest paid defensive player. So these guys always want just a little bit more. Even you know quarterbacks, we see that with a lot of uh, with a lot of their contracts. Even if the quarterback isn't necessarily that good or proven, you know we saw Jimmy Garoppolo get 128 million or so. Jay Cutler, remember he got 127 million. Yeah, it's that quarterback money, that baseball money. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Wish I was better at sports. Wish I, <laughs> wish I was a little better and more intuitive when I was younger. Uh, anyway, yeah, Bryce Harper not on any Chicago teams, but he finally did pick a team. So all that, uh, all that drama and BS is finally, is finally past us. So, in the next segment, uh, we are going to talk about the NFL, and we are going to discuss some things that are approaching as we, as we uh, gain on. Finally starting the new league year and finally uh, maybe seeing a little bit more of what the Bears can do after we were prematurely expelled from the playoffs. Uh, other than the Bears, still a, lot of, uh, still a lot of news and players and teams to talk about. Uh, Jason Witten, this, uh, this news happened a little bit, a little uh, relatively a while ago with uh, how the news cycle goes and you got to have everything current on the radio. But Jason Witten, of course, most people know him as the, uh, the All-Pro, likely, uh, likely Hall of Famer, uh, tight end from the Dallas Cowboys. He retired, and last season he was an analyst for Monday Night Football on ESPN where he notoriously did a pretty crappy job. Uh, he was pretty much widely regarded and accepted as one of probably the worst analysts across the networks that carry NFL games. So, what he decided to do for himself, so he claims, apparently he wasn't ousted or fired or pushed out by anybody. Apparently this was his decision. 
He put his broadcasting career on hold, and he has since rejoined the Dallas Cowboys. And he will be playing tight end in Jerry World once again. The 11-time Pro Bowl tight end returns one year, of course, after retiring, which, you know, it's not uncommon to, to see players do that. But it just seemed like Jason Witten, when he retired, was slowing down and kind of kind of went off on on a pretty on a pretty good note. You know, being away from the game, I don't know how his conditioning has been. I don't know what his workout routine has been. But I assume he's going to be at a disadvantage, especially against guys on the roster. Younger tight ends and players that are already on the roster. It'll be interesting to see if Witten gets the starting nod right out of the gate. Because the 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 Cowboys do have talent on their team. I just don't think adding Jason Witten is going to be that, you know, that big free agent move that's going to get them over the top in the uh in the NFC East and in the conference, let alone. Now, Jason Witten thinks that right now they have enough firepower to win the Super Bowl. I would probably have to disagree with him, but, you know, that's that's his team. He's kind of got to say those things every once in a while. So he's out of Monday Night Football, and a lot of people are clamoring for Jay Cutler to take his place. Uh, one, of course, as a Bears fan, that'd be fun. Two, as as a supporter and fan of Jay Cutler throughout the years, you know, of course, he's of course he's pissed me off uh, <laughs> throughout my career, whatever life as a as a Chicago Bear fan. He's done plenty of that, but I always had a soft spot for the guy, and when he's you know. When he's in interviews or you see him off the field, he does have a personality and he does have a, a sense of humor that I think would be able to translate well into uh, an ESPN analyst for a football game. Because he he was in talks he was in talks to join uh, to join Fox and kind of have like a Tony Romo esque role, kind of be a color guy. But then the Dolphins came and uh, offered him a one year deal to come back and play football. He did that, didn't go so well, retired to Tennessee with his hot wife, and that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do when, uh, when you've made over $100 million and you're not even in your mid-30s yet, and you're pretty much set for life. And if you want to make more money, you can pretty much just go any, to any network and be an analyst, and there you go. As long as, you, as, long as you're an ex-player... It's and you have a little bit of uh, <laughs> and you have even the slightest shred of charisma and you're not, you know, just a wooden board on, on TV. There's there's a post football career for you, Jay. Jump at the opportunity to do it again. Uh, Nick Foles, Nick Foles, uh, of course, everybody knows him. He was the he was the backup for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, during their Super Bowl run, when Carson Wentz went out with the, with that injury, he took over, plowed through the playoffs, and 
beat the Patriots. They, was it the Patriots? Yeah, it was the Patriots. No, it wasn't. Who did they face? I'm drawing a blank here. Anyway, when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, not this previous season, but the year before that, Patriots won it this year, Eagles won it before, Nick Foles took over that team and kind of created a quarterback controversy. Even though Carson Wentz, you know, he was drafted with the second overall pick, has a world of talent, has the he has the talent, skill, ability, whatever, whatever word you want to use. He has the it factor to possibly one day be the best quarterback in the league. He's just made of glass. So Nick Foles got ample opportunity to show what he can do and got people talking as to whether or not, you know, maybe Nick Foles should be the guy that the Eagles ride with. Maybe they should trade Carson Wentz and get back draft picks and assets and whatever. Obviously, that didn't happen. That's not the that's not the move that many sane football fans would have made. Obviously, having Nick Foles on and Carson Wentz on the roster, not a bad idea. Nick Foles has proven that he can do it and show up in in big-time situations in, in the spotlight. However, even though that the Eagles offered him an extension, um, tried to put the franchise tag on him, Nick Foles said, you know what, I'm, we're not, let's, let's just, uh, let's, let's, let's not do this. I'm going to go my own way. Obviously, I'm not part of the long-term plans here. It's been real. Super Bowl was fun, but, you know, we got to, we got to move on. So he is expected to sign when the new league year starts with the Jacksonville Jaguars to be their starting quarterback, replacing, of course, the number five pick. Actually, no, the number, I believe he was picked third overall. Blake Bortles obviously hasn't lived up to his high draft pick. Despite the AFC championship appearance a couple years ago, it's not. It's just not Blake Bortles' team anymore, and frankly, it may never have. It may never have been. It may never had been. However, you say that. Um, but yeah, Nick Foles. I don't know how much more of an advantage he gives that team. Obviously, Blake Bortles has shown time and time again that while he may show a flash here and there, he's probably not going to be any team's answer at franchise quarterback. So you can bring Nick Foles in who has that experience and who has skill and maybe you can turn maybe you can turn that franchise around and actually utilize the good defense that they have and not waste it, so to speak. Uh finally the New York Jets are favorites to land Le'Veon Bell. Uh his ex teammate on the Pittsburgh Steelers, Antonio Brown is garnering interest from the Raiders, the Cardinals uh, the Broncos were in on him, apparently, but they have since distanced themselves from those trade talks. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of players moving around right now. Uh, Landon Collins from the Giants did not get franchise tagged, so he will be a free agent. Uh, Ruben Foster, I believe, is another player who's going to be a free agent. 
C.J. Mosley, the linebacker from the Baltimore Ravens, is going to test free agency. Uh, D. Ford on the Chiefs, he did get tagged. Uh, if you remember, he was the one who committed the offsides penalty that would have resulted in a Kansas City turnover by intercepting Tom Brady. But, of course, that didn't happen, and the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Uh, it's time to discuss a little bit of NBA news and a little bit of NBA drama because it seems like uh, it seems like out of all the sports, the NBA is the most fun to follow. Uh, the uh, whatchamacallit, NBA subreddit is always popping off about something, so I advise people to go check that out. Uh, anyway, let's talk about the Phoenix Suns. I know a lot of people in Chicago probably don't give a damn about them. But listen to this. Check this out. I'm going to make the case for you right now that the Phoenix Suns are the NBA's most dysfunctional franchise. Hands down. At, at, at the current moment, of course. You know, you can always go back and uh, see how, uh, whatchamacallit, dysfunctional that the Knicks have been, the Clippers have been. You know, those are, those are the historically bad... <laughs> NBA NBA franchises maybe the Pistons a little bit you know in recent years uh, but a story came out from ESPN recently and it was shared on Bleacher Report as well uh, basically detailing and chronicling just how screwed up the situation is in Phoenix first things first they haven't made the playoffs since the 2009-2010 season. It's been a while. Steve Nash was still on the team. Amari Stoudemire was on the team. Was on the, team. the last time that the Suns were relevant, they had completely different jerseys. I think they may have played somewhere else. They had a completely different look, completely different identity. And it's not like the Suns are a historically bad team. You know, they've had some success with, with Charles Barkley uh, in the 90s and, of course, in the 2000s when they had uh, Amari, Sean Marion, you know, guys like that. Uh, Steve Nash, of course. So what what went wrong? What went wrong? When did it go wrong? It all starts up top. It all starts with the owner. Owner's name is Robert Sarver, and he's been labeled as an interventionist owner with more authority than he has expertise. Another main factor is an unstable front office. There's a lot of instability with that, uh, with that club, and of course, like I said, starts with the owner. There's been GM changes, and there's been conflict. Here's the funniest part. This is the crown jewel of this story. I could probably talk about this next little caveat for the rest of the show. But we're going to try to squeeze it in. So Robert Sarver, as a motivational tool slash prank, I suppose... That's what it says in the report. 
If you are a sports fan, obviously you've heard the term GOAT be thrown around. It means greatest of all time. People usually refer to it, uh, the GOAT in basketball as either Michael Jordan or LeBron. And, you know, you can use that term. It's been, it's been used loosely uh, in recent memory, but it means greatest of all time. So, Robert Sarver went to GM McDonough's office back when McDonough was still there, GM, before he got fired. So, four years after he was hired, four years after McDonough was named the general manager, Robert Sarver somehow got his hands on some goats, some actual-ass goats, from a Diana Taurasi event that was taking place at the Suns Arena, Talking Stick Resort Arena. Swear to God, that's the name of the place. Between Talking Stick Resort Arena, Sleep Train Arena, Smoothie King Center, there's a lot of dumb names in the NBA for, uh, for the stadiums nowadays. Anyway, he planted them upstairs in McDonough's office. Now, like I said, it was half a prank, half an inspirational message. And the message that went through Sarver's head, apparently, was to let McDonough know that we need to find, as, as the sons, we need to find a goat of our own. One who dominates, like, I, Diana Taurasi, I guess. Sounds like, you know... Sounds like a uh, harmless little little thing. But <laughs> the goats were, uh, quote, unaware of their metaphorical connotation. And lo and behold, they just defecated and crapped all over the GM's office. Could you imagine if your boss went through all the trouble of bringing in livestock to a basketball facility because he thinks oh my god this is going to this is going to make such a clever <laughs> this is going to be such a clever statement we're going to make the headlines it's going to be cool and you just look like the biggest idiot because you don't realize that goats need to eat <laughs> goats need to eat and they'll eat anything so I'm I guarantee you the goats got into something in that office. Guarantee you the goats got pretty bored pretty fast. And even before that, I guarantee you the goats were trying to eat something. So they got a lot in their stomachs that needs to get pushed out. Makes a whole new... Uh, takes the Suns being a uh, crappy organization to a whole new level. So, also, they have a weak scouting department, and scouting in the NBA and in sports means that that is the team, the little group that is responsible for either finding talent in high school, college, or overseas to bring to your NBA, NBA team. Suns have been pretty bad drafting Except for, they, yes, they do have Devin Booker. And they did get DeAndre Ayton after lucking into the first overall pick. And DeAndre Ayton was pretty much the runaway uh, 
the runaway player coming out of college last year. So obviously he was taken. He was taken number one overall by, by the team. So they have core pieces in Aiton and Booker. But other than that, it's the, the team's kind of bare. You know, they do have TJ Warren, who's a nice player. Don't know if he's a piece going forward. Kelly Oubre, they traded uh, with the Wizards to get him. He still has a way to go, in my opinion. They drafted Dragon Bender, number four overall, and he's ass. I'm not even sure if he's in the rotation anymore. They drafted Alex Len. He's not on the team anymore. He was, he was a bust with the Suns, but now he's actually finding a little bit of a little bit of life in in Atlanta with the Hawks. But yeah, they just need they just need talent and probably probably uh, <laughs> a better scouting department uh, from top to bottom. But yeah, they haven't made the playoffs in damn near 10 years. And also, apparently their facilities are so outdated that it's even created an isolation between the executives and the players and coaches. It's 2019, and apparently these facilities are years behind where they should be for a modern NBA franchise. So the facilities are old and decrepit. They have little talent outside of the two superstars they have. Which even even at even at that point they're still both players are still very young. I don't think I take that back. I don't think I would consider Aiton a superstar just yet, but he is Definitely on his way to. He's 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 on his way. He'll be he'll be an all star. He'll be an all star soon. The goat incident, <laughs> having goats be put in uh, the G, the general manager's office, and an owner that just doesn't understand basketball. Sarver, well, I don't know if that's appropriate, but he has more authority and more power in his head at least then he has knowledge of how to be a successful uh what's the word executive and apparently he has gone to the coaches mid-game halftime and pretty much told them how to how to coach the team and what plays to run that's that's not how it works. That's not how NBA works. <laughs> That's not how anything works. Let's dig into that quadruple. See, I, I almost said like that four overtime. That doesn't make sense. The quadruple overtime that the Atlanta Hawks and the Chicago Bulls gave us on Friday. I actually turned on the game uh, with with about two seconds left in the fourth quarter. I... Figured that the game was over. They were down by three. I didn't really need to. Didn't really need to go any further with that. And uh, it seems that uh, <laughs> it seems that whenever I watch the Bulls, like something eventful kind of happens. You know, I haven't really had the opportunity to do so recently because I've been either busy or the Bulls 
getting blown out hasn't been really my idea of a uh, of a fun night, of a fun evening in front of the couch. I mean, on the couch, in front of the TV. So whenever I do, it does seem like something memorable or quote-unquote big does happen. Uh, so in that game, two seconds left. It's 124-121, Bulls are down three. Otto Porter shoots a three, misses completely. Ugly shot, but it was the end of the game. You'll take anything. You'll take any shot you can get because it's a chance. Otto Porter was fouled on the three-point attempt. Now, that is the biggest, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes you can make at the end of a game. Stay away from whoever's shooting with time expiring. If they make it, then whatever. They make it, you go into overtime content that, hey, I tried, you know, what are you going to do? By following him, he, you know, puts him on the free throw line, makes all three foul shots, ties the game. Overtime after overtime after overtime into the final overtime. So I spent the next hour or so (laughs) uh, glued to watching that game. And it was probably the most fun I've had watching Bulls basketball this season. And it's kind of sad to say that the Bulls have been that bad. But, like I said, um, the, the state of the team is definitely better than I would say what it, what we thought it was at the beginning of the season. I'm a little bit more optimistic going into next season. And, as I said previously in the dedicated Bulls segment, hopefully we can land a high draft pick like a John Morant and maybe bring in another young player or another willing veteran in free agency or the draft. Well, not a veteran from the draft, but a young player from the draft. Hopefully we can do that and start actually competing again. Obviously, I don't see the Bulls competing for a championship right out of the gate. But if we can show that we're a little competitive again, then that'll be fun. All right, so finally, last but last but not least, uh, in 2020, the XFL, Vince McMahon's Football League, will be starting up again for the second iteration. And one of the te- one of the cities that gets a team is Tampa Bay. Don't have a name yet, but they are they're getting an XFL franchise. The head coach of the Tampa Bay XFL team is none other than former Chicago Bears head coach Mark Trustman, Dr. Death himself. The fact that, okay, listen, obviously XFL isn't going to be on the NFL's level. XFL might not even be on the AAF's level. I think the XFL is more more geared toward just kind of like a, more. it's more of a performance than a sport, kind of like WWE, but we're not going to get into that. So the same head coach that went 13-9 and nine with the Bears, gets another shot with Tampa Bay and their XFL team. Now, I don't know if this is, thinking back on it now, I don't know if this is a good look for Trustman or if this is just a way for him to have some more income coming his way because I'm not sure how much, I'm not sure how much he's making currently at the moment. But uh, I know when the Bears 
cut him loose prematurely. They had to pay him for the time that he didn't uh, that he didn't serve on that contract. Chicago has a thing for getting rid of coaches prematurely. <laughs> we got to make a little bit uh, better of a decision of decisions uh, right out of the gate. But yeah, that first season with the Bears, uh, eight and eight, second in the NFC North, missed the playoffs. Of course, with that heartbreaking Green Bay loss in the final final seconds of the season. Uh, they were eighth in total offense, second in total points. It seemed like the the Bears finally had an offense, except Mel Tucker's defense was 30th in yards and points. The very next season, the team went 5-11. and Bears finished last in the division. The offense regressed immensely, 21st in yards, 23rd in points, and 30th in yards allowed, 31st in points allowed with the defense. So just a crap show all around. So... Uh, hopefully, Doctor Death can do what he does <laughs> with uh, with the with the XFL team. I wish them the best of luck, but uh, because they're going to need it with uh, Trustman going down there and implementing his philosophy of growing the man. It's going to be fun. It should be fun. Anyway, that is it for the show. This has been the Athlete Beat. I am Brandon Arlowski. Thank you for tuning in. Check out the podcast on anchor.fm slash Brandon Orlowski. Should be up tomorrow. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Brandon Orlowski. Follow the station at WCRXFM. You can catch this same show every Monday night, 7 to 9. Uh, hopefully next week we can get back into uh, bringing in guests. It's been a little uh, been a little hectic over the past couple couple shows. But next week, hopefully we have everything squared away and we get back to the normal format. WCRX, this has been Ben Orlowski and the Athlete Beat. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you next week, hopefully with a little bit more, uh, with a little bit more content and a little bit less of a cold. So uh, this has been WCRX. Peace.